I think that's a way for me to get noticed. Using bright colors, people will notice you. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel seen. But now I feel like quilting has brought me to a point where it's like, I want people to know who I am. This is me. This is Julia. This is my style. I'm Zach Foster, and you're listening to Seamside, the show where we explore the inner work of textiles. And today we sit down with quilter Julian Jamal Jones. You may have noticed that I don't have any commercials on this podcast, and that's all thanks to the good folks over at the Quilty Nook. Well, I guess that was kind of a little commercial, wasn't it? But other than that, listen, Quilty Nook are some of the friendliest, most inquisitive, and feral group of quilters I know. Their membership support helps make projects like this podcast possible, and for that, I am truly, truly thankful. If you're looking for community and inspiration, I'd encourage you to check out The Nook and come be our guest for a few days. You can find out more about The Nook in the link in the show notes below. I hope to see you there. All right, let's take a look at some of the reviews that have come in. I I think I picked this one as soon as I saw the subject line. Ali Moncrief says, could listen till the cows come home. Ali goes on to say, I love this podcast. Zach's conversations with other quilters managed to be at once very mellow, wildly inspiring and profoundly mind altering. She said mind expanding, excuse me. I listen to certain episodes more than once. They are rich and often influence my perspective and creative work. Grateful for it all. Thank you. And thank you, Allie. I really appreciate you taking the time to write that review. It truly is the best way us humans can game the algorithm and make sure it picks up seam side so other folks get to hear it too for themselves. So if you got a moment, could you write me a sweet little review? I sure would appreciate it. Now, there are certain artists that you remember vividly the first time you saw their work. Julian Jamal Jones is one of those artists for me, because I know when I saw his body of work that he produced at Cranbrook, these black quilts, all black quilts, with these wild streaks of bold and vibrant colors, kind of mark-making. I felt like I was seeing a brand new thing in this world, something I hadn't seen before. So imagine my surprise when Julian agreed to sit down here with us on Seamside and share his process with us. In this conversation, Julian and I discuss how to create intimate inner circles with your audience, how to bring a spirit of joy and gratitude into your practice, and what his grandma really thinks about his quilts. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Julian Jamal Jones. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm really happy. So Julian, tell us where you are right now. I am in Noblesville, Indiana. It's a small community, probably like 20 minutes north of Indianapolis. I'm recording in my office space. It's my meditation space. A room for me to kind of get my my mind off of off of the negative things in the world. I sometimes sit in here and just pray, meditate, sketch, look at TV. So this is this is kind of like my calming space in my house. Do you have any special objects that you find help center you while you're in this space? I wouldn't say they're objects. I feel like it's more. I think sounds, like opening up the window and just hearing the nature, the environment around me, 
which really stems to a lot of my practice around the world around me. I like to play music in this space on my phone. But when it comes to objects, not necessarily. I guess the Bible, I guess that's an object. <laughs> that, it is. <laughs> that, that gives me peace. I was raised in a very religious household. And I still carry that tradition now in my adult years. And that plays a major role in my art practice now, which we'll get to later. So, Julian, when you and I first talked on the phone, maybe about a month ago, maybe six weeks, and we were just kind of getting to know each other and seeing what we might talk about today, one of the things you mentioned I thought was so special was that your grandmother and great-grandmother are both quilters. And I'm wondering, what, what do they say? What do they think about your quilts and your work? Well, my great-grandmother, Grandma Elsie, she actually passed away when I was two years old, I believe. My aunt and my mother used to tell me, like, you know, you guys shared a lot of the same similarities. You both quilted. You both liked to cook. And I just found out that we shared the same birthday, which I I think they told me that. I just never really caught on to that aspect. But we were born on Christmas Day. Both of our birthdays are on, on Christmas Day. So that's very special. So, so I kind of tell people, like, she's like my guardian angel. I kind of feel her presence around me. I even got to see some of her quilts that her, that she gave her her children. So I got to see some of her quilts and how different well of course it's going to be different but how she how her approach to quilting was my grandmother she's still living she's 91 she lives in toledo ohio she she was very traditional you know she was a very traditional quilter followed the patterns but she also she made clothes which i haven't gotten into yet but as a child i remember going to toledo ohio and she would be on a sewing machine. She would be on her serger making things. She had quilts on the on the, like the ends of the beds. She had quilts all in the in in the in the closet space. You know, at like seven and eight years old, you don't really pay attention to that. You know, it's funny, Julian, that one of my earliest textile memories is with my grandma too. Is my grandma who's one hundred and seven now, and I just saw her a couple of days ago, and. She also made a lot of her own clothes. And so the memory is this, me being like just tall enough to see up on the ironing board, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what age that was, but probably around the same age you mentioned, six, seven, eight. Mm -hmm. And seeing her pattern pieces laid out on fabric that she was going to cut. And I remember being so mesmerized by the brown, thin, crinkly paper that those patterns were printed on. And that, that's it. That's my, as far as I can pin down my earliest textile memory. Now, you said that your grandmother was a more traditional pattern, but you didn't talk very much about what your great-grandmother, Elsie, what her quilts looked like that she made for her kids. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm hearing a lot of, of that information from, from her children. I, again, I never got to meet Elsie. I was two years old. But w there's one quilt that my grandmother has, and it's white, and it has floral patterns all over it. And she says that she did it by hand. She sewed it by hand. And you can just see like how much work she put into it. The lines are not straight, but it still has like that passive connection, I feel like. And it's just something about it, just me just holding it, me just staring at it. I can definitely feel like her presence every time I like hold it. You know, it's hard to explain it. You have to explain that to an audience full of textile lovers. <laughs> I think we get it. Yeah. Right. 
then like and I'm hearing that she has more quilts, but I haven't found them. I think they're in attics of like my great aunt's house and so I'm hoping that I can see more of her work, but I've only got to see one quilt of hers. But I'm just hearing like stories that she used to make clothes for all of her children. <laughs> Julian, have you ever sewed with your grandma? No. Never made a quilt with her? I've never, no. I I want to. Our styles are so different and what I do and what she does are too different things but she but she's saying she likes my work at first she didn't i'm gonna be honest <laughs> she was like oh i don't like this i, I understand why she doesn't because that's kind of that's kind of the response i want people to say when they see my work but i think the more i was around her the more i was like talking to her explaining my process and what's going behind the sketches and how i put everything together i think it made more sense to her so she's more of a fan now, but when I first started doing them, now she absolutely hated them, <laughs> and that's that's all fi- that's fine. I'm I'm not gonna lie about that. She did not like them. At all, but. That's all right. You know, a lot of times I feel like our family uh, might not be the first people in line that understand our work, but doesn't mean they're not supportive in other ways. Right. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned that you grew up around Indianapolis and. Mm-hmm. I know that a large part of the work you're doing today stems from a childhood where you're one of the few black kids in a mostly white community. Yeah. Can can you talk about that a little bit with us? So my parents moved. I was actually, I was actually born in the inner city of Indianapolis. A lot of people don't know that because I haven't said it. So I'm the oldest of two. I have two younger twin brothers that, are more athletic. They have no creative bone in their body. You wouldn't even think we're related. (laughs) But I was actually born in the inner city, honestly. But when I was, I think I was a a year old, my parents decided to move to the north suburbs of Indianapolis, which is like the Castleton area, if you're familiar with Indianapolis. And during that time, just hearing my parents talk about it, we were one of the first black families in that neighborhood. And um, there was all white neighbors around us. And my mom tells me stories that neighbors actually wouldn't speak to us. Well, it would be my parents. So it would have been my dad and mom. They didn't speak to them. One neighbor across the street actually moved. The week we moved, she moved, her and her family moved out two weeks after we moved into the neighborhood. So it was a lot of like racial tension definitely in that in that area but throughout the years it started to get a little bit more integrated more black families started to move in but growing up I definitely felt alone I I definitely felt introverted I was by myself a lot in my room processing listening to music I'm drawing watching tv um so it was it was definitely a lonely childhood where, Julian, where did you find connection and community where you were living? It probably wasn't until I went to my undergrad. So I went to undergrad at Heron, Art, Heron School of Art and Design in downtown Indianapolis. So that's where I kind of met people like me. I started to reach out to people, meet people in the fashion community. So that's where I kind of started to meet people. It was more like when I went to undergrad. 
But where I live or where we live now, it's really no community. Honestly, we, as of right now, we are one of the only black families in an all white neighborhood in Noblesville, Indiana. <laughs> so I think my parents, I think they like that aspect of being away from the commotion, the violence. Because the more that, in the, well, this is for any state. In the inner city, there's a lot more violence, a lot more drug activity, all of that. So I think that it was is a way for them to protect me as a human, for me not to be involved with all of that. And I think that was kind of like their mindset when we were younger. They wanted to protect us from all the foolishness that my mom, that's the word my mom would say, foolishness. <laughs> so Julian, how did you come by quilting other than having, you know, two generations supporting you in doing that? So, okay, this is a story. So my senior year at Heron, the pandemic hit. My dad was very sick. My dad was very ill. I actually took care of my dad the last two years of my undergrad, my mom and myself. And sadly, my dad passed away the week of the pandemic. So it was a lot going on in 2020. So my dad passed away. And then I think the next day, President Trump said, this is a pandemic. School was closed. I didn't really, I didn't have a senior thesis show. It was, everything was on Zoom. We know that story. So it was, that was a very challenging time for me, emotionally, physically. I didn't really, really didn't want to do art anymore, honestly, when the pandemic hit. Maybe like two weeks after graduation, when I got my diploma, I got an email from Stefan, my photography professor at Heron. And Chris Frazier, the artist in residence at Cranbrook, was looking for one more student to fill his department at Cranbrook. So Stefan recommended me to, to, you know, apply and have an interview with Chris and I wanted to go to graduate school before the pandemic. So I applied to Cranbrook thinking that I wanted to continue the fashion where I left off with my undergrad. And again, I was I was in the photography department. I was not in fiber. I wasn't thinking about fiber stuff at all going to Cranbrook. I was focusing on my fashion photography. <laughs> Very interesting story. So I get into the program and I meet Quanisha Wood. A great artist. She's doing amazing things now. She just had her solo show in London. She's one of she's one of my favorite artists now. At the time, she was doing her tufting pieces and her Jacquard tapestries. And I was like, oh my gosh, how like I've never experienced this before. Heron didn't have a fiber program. So I didn't know anything about textiles. I didn't know what fiber was in my undergrad program. I'm looking at Quenisha work. I want to do something in the realm of fiber. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that was, honestly. And Julian, what did you see in Quenisha's work that it really struck a chord with you? Right. She, I think it's just the way she puts things together. Her message, Quenisha is very funny. I love Quenisha. She's very, she's a very funny individual. So just reading her Jacquard tapestries and the messages that she's sending out, I think it was just her style. Her her tough things were very, it was very unique to her, you know. And she has definitely grown within that process, which I very I admire deeply. I learned a lot from Quenisha, like 
how to talk to curators, how what to tell galleries, like just the way she worded things or really pays, paid attention to like, don't let people take advantage over you. That was something I learned a lot in graduate school. You you speak confidently about your work. You know, don't let people abuse you. It's okay to say no to people. You know, as a new artist, you feel like you have to say yes to every opportunity. So there's like certain gem moments that I, I took from her and I kind of I think about when things approach me or people come at me. You know, I kind of think about what would Clonisha say in this instance. <laughs> so she was, she was very inspirational to me at Cranbrook. I wouldn't say she was a mentor, but she definitely was... A positive light in my eyes. So yeah, that's enough about Quanisha. <laughs> I can ramble about her for days. We'll link to Quanisha Wood's work in the show notes below. If you're interested in seeing what she does, you can check her out there. And so you see Quanisha's tufted pieces and jacquard weavings. Mm-hmm. So how did you get from there to quilting? Yeah, so so my first body of work at Cranbrook was jacquard tapestries. And it's actually a, a series of pieces that I haven't really shown anybody. They're on my website if you're interested in seeing them. But they were like these abstract weavings that I was kind of interested in. I remember that critique and no one liked them. I think they were, I think they were saying like they're beautiful pieces, but I think they wanted to see my hand involved in, in the fiber process. Because your card weavings is done digitally. So you design something, you, you design your design online, and then you send it to a mill, and you can digitally have it weaved for you. So there wasn't a lot of, like, interview. You know, I didn't really control how the pieces looked. I feel like quilting was a way for me to really throw my hand in it and really control how I wanted the piece to look. So all the students had first-year reviews and second-year reviews. And G's Ben was brought up in my first year review. I didn't know anything about G's Ben. I was like, okay, I'll check him out and see what this guy's talking about. <laughs> so I checked G's Ben. I was like, oh my, where have I been? I, I cannot, I, I didn't know nothing. I, I fell in love with G's Ben. So like reading their stories and like, it was a, it wasn't it wasn't an option for women. They had to quilt to create pallets for their kids to sleep on and keep their families warm in the winter. Like having their husband's pieces in the quilts for them to to lay on after their husband passed away. Like those type of stories really like touched me emotionally, and I started thinking about okay. And that's when 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 I thought about Jesus, and I was like, oh, my great grandmother quilted. My grandmother quilted. So I started connecting pieces together. I'm like, mm, I wonder what I could do to the quilting verbiage. What can I contribute to this this old traditional form of fiber art? So I started experimenting and I started creating quilts, but the quilts looked identical to G's. Been very solid colors, diagonal, you know, lines. It looked very like G's bed. After creating those pieces, the feedback I was getting, they were like, we want to see more of Julian in these pieces. These are beautiful pieces, but how can you incorporate your verbiage, your perspective, and how can you bend the culture of G's Bend? How can you make it your own? I'm like, okay, that's a challenge for me. (laughs) So I went home my first year of graduate school and I just started sketching. 
sketching was something that I did in my undergrad and I just kind of fell off with it. I was like, this would never take me anywhere. But one day I just started sketching. I just started to do these abstract sketches, these mark making, weird, weird mark making, I don't know, abstract markings on papers. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what, how this will look in my quilt. <laughs> so I did like a sample one and I, you know, I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, this could really, I love this. I love everything about this. So I came back to Cranbrook my second year and I was cranking them out. I started making them, making bigger pieces, exploring color, exploring different type of mark making, smearing the, the lines together, mixing colors together. So I started experimenting and just really seeing what I can create, not really knowing where the inspiration was coming from, honestly. I feel like the older works were very coming from more of an experimental mindset, but I was thinking about where did I come from? My grandmother. I don't feel like religion was a big part of it at that time. I think music was. Music was a big portion of it. So I would listen to music and kind of react to the music and my dad was a big jazz person, so I, I listened to jazz music. Church was a big thing, probably later, obviously. So I would really base those sketches off of those inspirations, emotions that I felt for that day. So it kind of just came from, it was like a mix of everything, all the inspirations that I thought of. And then it wasn't until like my second semester at Kernberg is when I started thinking about place, identity, who I am as a Black male in America. I think the Cranbrook quilts are beautiful. My graduate work is great, but I feel like now that I'm out of the institution and I'm kind of on my own, I feel like the work is definitely expanding with with what I'm experiencing as an adult, which is a good thing. But how would you describe your quilts, especially the more recent ones that you've been working on? How would you describe them to someone who had never seen them? Right. Honestly, Zach, I want my quilts to stand out. I want my work to be memorable. I want people to look at my work and be like, who made this, you know? And I'm not shading. I, that's not my character to shade other quilters. You know, everyone has their own lane and style, but I don't want my work to look traditional. I don't follow patterns. I do what I want to do. And I think that's the beauty of my practice. I've had people in my face tell me these are not quilts. But they are. <laughs> There's always going to be one or two. You know what I'm saying? Like people have told me, oh, this is not a quill. This is more of a tapestry. But why? Why? Like how? Why would you consider this a tapestry but not a quill? You know, I it's three layers. You know, I have a back, I have a middle, and a front. So to me, it is a quill. Just because I don't follow patterns and I don't use you know, store-bought textiles. I create my own textiles. I mean, that's still, it's still quilts to me, you know? So those are just things that people have said that I kind of, I'm doing my own thing. So I really don't care what they think, you know? And, and it's, it's, and it's funny because I feel like graduate school definitely taught me to be more, I don't want to say meaner, but I feel like I'm more, um, <laughs> what's what I'm trying to say? Because, I, I mean, back in the day, I was really quiet. I was very shy. And, I mean, I still have those elements of myself. If I'm around a group of people that I, I don't know, I typically am very observant. I kind of am by myself. But I feel like Cranbrook really taught me to be confident 
talk about my work. You, you take pride in your process. You accept your process and just have confidence with it. And I didn't have none of that before coming to Cranbrook. So Cranbrook really made me a whole new person inside and out. <laughs> I tell people that all the time. But to go back to your question, I want my work to be rememberable. I want it's bold. It's, it's, it's whimsical. It's colorful. And I think a lot of that, is, that's a part of my practice that I have not really connected to why my work is so vibrant. I I think because coming from more of like an insulated family, very introverted, I think that's a way for me to get noticed. Using bright colors, people will notice you. And I think I felt very, I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel, I didn't feel seen. You know, I didn't feel like people noticed me in my youth years, but now I feel like quilting has brought me to a point where it's like, I want people to know who I am. This is me. This is Julia. This is my style, you know? So I think that's why I'm working more boldly and working with more vibrant colors and it's crazy design because I want to be seen. I think that's honestly what it's about. So... I just rambled, but hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> no, you did not ramble. Yeah. That was beautiful. <laughs> okay. That was beautiful. You also, so you do use a lot of bright colors. Uh -huh. And it seems to be a common element that I see in your work, of course, that all those bright colors are on black fabric. Yeah. So the black is new. I started, I made that debut, debut at my first solo show at Playground Detroit in Detroit last September. I was kind of hesitant with working with black paper, but again, I wanted to see, oh, I wonder if this will stand out, will people remember it? I haven't seen a lot of quilts using black back fabrics. Like, I just thought it would be something new to just try. And I made one piece for that show and fell in love with, with everything about it. So I was like, the whole show is going to be black. <laughs> Let's do it. So I did it and, you know, I love, I still love that, that body of work, but now it's more of the combination of like color paper, white and black. The pieces now that I'm working on are a combination of black, white and color paper, which is very dynamic. It's very bold. It's very in your face. It's here. <laughs> I feel you just said something. You just said something that made me feel like I haven't done my homework, Julia. And that is, you mentioned paper in your quilts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So, you know, okay, so talking about the pandemic, I was sketching and, you know, you know, I always fell in love with abstraction. And I feel like abstraction is such a... It's either a right answer or a wrong answer. I feel like I, I feel like I'm never right when I talk about abstraction, but I feel like abstraction is such it's a way for me to feel private encoded, but still put my process and my in my work out there in the real world. Again, I'm a very private individual. I was raised in a very concealed family. There was a lot of things that my parents protected us on. So I feel like a lot of the work that I put out is very, it's open to interpretation. I don't want to put a theme or narrative to the practice or to the pieces. I think now though I'm starting to title my works now. That's a new thing for me now. Titling at 
in the very beginning was very hard for me to really connect something with my work because the whole goal is for me not to put anything on my audience. I want my work to be, if you walk into a solo show of my works, I want all my works to be open to interpretation. I don't want anything to be forced. I don't want any type of, I want people to leave my exhibit with their own interpretations. But I think now, I think putting or connecting some element within my work, I think is more successful than what I used to say about untitling my works. So like the new body, the, the works that I'm making now in 2023 all have titles. You know, some of them are song titles. One one title was from a Bible verse that I did that I like. It's one of my favorite Bible verses now that I think about it. So I think now, you know, I think the work now is kind of pulling from all avenues, which it always has been, but I'm starting to title my practice. So what changed your mind about titling your work? Um, I felt like I, I owed my audience some type of information. <laughs> There's one quilt that hasn't been seen yet. It's actually going to London for a show with Truly Art Projects, and I named it Now I Got 32 Flavors. Now, if you don't listen to rap music, you don't know where that's where I'm pulling those references from. But if you if you if you know Crime Mob, if you understand the rap culture, you know where I'm pulling those lyrics from. So I feel like now I'm pulling excerpts from from Bible verses. I'm pulling some some lyrics. You know, it's still like this mystery thing, but I feel like it's. I'm connect. I'm trying to connect my audience to something, you know. Like I'm trying to give them some type of information, but I don't want to give them too much. Well, and you said something a moment ago that I find really interesting about uh-huh. naming the quilt that's going to London after Thirty Two Flavors. Yeah. That like it almost creates this little test, doesn't it? That if you yes. read the title, Absolutely. you're either in or you're out, right. right? Yeah, and that's exactly what I want. Like. Your reaction is exactly how I want people to read my work. And I think one thing about me is like, I like to tease people. I'm a teaser. I like to, I like to put things out there for the world, but I want people to do their research. So it's kind of like rap music. It's kind of like one of those things, like if you read a rap lyric, I kind of get what the rapper is trying to say. He's talking about his mother, his baby mama, whatever. I don't know. (laughs) So that's kind of, I'm, I'm trying to pull that, that con- conceptual aspect in my practice where I'm naming things, but I want my audience to do their research and kind of understand what I'm coming from. I got another question and I still want to get back to paper. We're not done with paper yet, but you did mention about abstractionism, how mm-hmm. it allows you to reveal parts of yourself, but also withhold parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. So what parts of yourself are you letting through in your work for us to know about you? I think it's emotion. I'm a very, I'm an emotional person and colors play with emotion, you know? So you were talking about the black works, you know, and that, and that's something I really have never really publicly talked about my playground Detroit show. And that show was basically about being fearful, stepping out, graduating from an institution, being, very scared and nervous about how my art career is going to go. It's kind of like you're kind of on your own. 
So I think just the elements of like color really play with the emotion of what what my work is about. But I think the main thing is definitely emotion where how music helps me cope with my emotions and how it helps me get through a day. And would you say that colors, like your use of black and the other colors, would you say that colors also help you kind of process the day yeah, and get through the day? Absolutely. Like just the clothes I wear, I wear very bright clothing. <laughs> so I think I definitely play on color and how I function from day to day. Like, I don't want to just say emotion, but you know, it's music, it's, it's religion, it's, it's my environment, it's, a, it's, it's politics, you know, it's, I feel like it's all the elements, you know, gospel music. I'm actually creating actually have my first solo show here in Indianapolis um, at the Tube Factory in January of 2024. And I'm really excited about that show. It's it's basically on religion. You know, it's about the, the exhibit is entitled Take Me Back. So it's all about like my youth experiences in church. The music, the gospel music now isn't the same as it was in the 19. You know, when I was a child, like, or choir music isn't written like it used to be. You know, fashion in the church is different now. So it's the show is paying homage to, like, church when I was young. And I remember how we went to church all day, Sunday school, first service, second service. Like, going to Sunday school, like, you know, I feel like that was a big part of who I am as a person now. So... I definitely want to pay homage to like the religion aspect. So I think those works are going to be stunning. I'm actually studying like stained glass windows of the black church, researching Amy Zion churches, the church I grew up in and my grandma's church and wanting to visit more Amy Zion churches around my region. I'm looking at old black hairstyles, how my mom used to wear her hair. It's completely different how it is now, you know, so it's going to be a beautiful show. I'm really excited about it. I what about to... what about church hats? You study in church hats? Yes, church hats. Just the fashion aspects, you know. So I'm I'm trying to look at videos when I was a child. I'm trying to I'm I'm looking at pictures, bulletins. I'm trying to like choir robes is a big thing too. Or churches don't wear choir robes anymore, you know. So I'm trying to go back to my old church, find their old choir robes, do a quilt with all of the old choir robes in it mixed in with my abstract gestures, maybe paper, I don't know yet. You know what else I would love to see? You make what? that quilt yep. out of all the choir robes and then yeah. see if you can hang it up somewhere in your church. Yes. Wouldn't yes. that be cool? That would be really cool. I agree. And then bring in your photography background, take pictures of people looking at the quilt and interacting yeah. with the quilt. Wouldn't that be sweet? That would be really cool. Yeah. So I know you want to about my paper. So I'm yeah. Are there going to be paper in these quilts? <laughs> So, so that idea kind of came back going back to Cranbrook and seeing they're wanting me to implement, you know, my paper sketches. Well, actually, that wasn't them. That was my idea. So I outsource. I'm not scared to say that. I'm being honest. I think every artist has some outsource company that they work with. All of the sketches are made by me. I design all of them. I do all of them by hand. 
I do everything. I don't plan my sketches. It kind of just comes to me intuitively. It could be me listening to music and me just reacting to music. I actually just did a series of Charday sketches, if you know the jazz singer Charday. So I'm making a whole quilt sketch series based on Charday, and it's really about my dad. So that that body of work is like the conversations that I had with my dad before he passed away. He was a big Charday fan. He loved Charday. So that work is definitely. It means a lot to me personally. So I think like now, like I'm pulling all avenues when it comes to my sketching. I, I'm not going to say the company, but I use a company and I scan the sketches in to my computer and I crop. I might adjust the saturation. I might add other sketches together. So it's like a manipulative process that I have with digital technology with my sketching. And I send them to a company and I select fabrics that I want to use within the fabrics, within my quilts. And then they ship them to me and then I just start cutting away. I start my organization. It's really crazy, but I kind of know what I want the quilts to look like, but I don't sketch anything beforehand. It's all intuitive. And that process is probably the longest process when it comes to like composition and having a feeling when I know a quote is complete or having a feeling of, oh, I want it to look like this. That's kind of where the, the sketches come into play. And again, I feel like the sketches really set me apart from a lot a lot of quilters because I feel like it hasn't been done before. One, two, I feel like it's just a different approach to quilt making as, as you know, it's just a different process. Again, I don't follow patterns. I don't follow any rules. I don't follow the quilt rules. <laughs> I kind of like I've rewritten my own language, you know. Shape kind of comes at the very end. A lot of question a lot of people question about the shape of a quilt. Do you plan that out? No, I really don't. A lot of the smaller quilts honestly were probably supposed to be bigger quilts, but I just cut them because I just didn't like how they looked bigger. You know, that's a that's some tips of my studio that people don't know but I, I I think now that I'm accepting working larger I'm having to Im- implement more sketches make more sketches to kind of fill in those gaps and kind of you know make the quote make sense that's something that I think about does this make sense is this you know does this look good no and I feel like it's just a style thing that I have like a natural talent that I have just looking at one of my pieces and saying, is it hot or not? You know, and there's a lot of knots that have never been seen before, <laughs> but I, I think I'm very confident when it comes to like style and I know what looks good and I know what people will like. And I know the growth, you know, like this looks better than what it would have looked a year ago, you know? So I think what's coming out the studio now I think it's going to really shock people. I'm really excited to show the works for London. I did a show. I just sent some works to them a couple weeks ago. I'm working on some pieces for Blue Spiral, which are stunning pieces. I love those pieces. So I think the works now that are coming out the studio are really speaking to like my voice and I'm stamping it as an approval, not shading my cranbrook pieces because I think those pieces are great too, but looking at my cranbrook pieces and the work that I'm making now, definitely see growth 
as an artist, you know, you definitely see it. So I'm really happy with my progress. Did I answer your question about paper? I think I did. <laughs> Just to be clear then, so you make the original mark on paper, but then you get it printed on fabric and that's what goes into the quilt? Yeah, so a lot of people think I do it on the on the fabric, which I have not tested yet. But be um, cool. I use oil pastel. That's something I did not say. So all of the sketches are made with oil pastel crayons. And oil pastel has more oil in it, so it's, it's more bendable. It's more, I can smear it. I can mix colors with it. So all of them are oil pastel drawings. And I feel like the black paper really highlights the colors better than the white paper. So I'm knowing what to, what type of colors to use on white paper versus black paper. And that's something that I'm still learning now. When I first started quoting, I was thinking about the process and I was thinking heavily about composition. I think now I kind of let all that go. I kind of just, I do my sketching. I see what looks good together. I, I, I crop them and put them where I want them. It's not a lot of thought about composition now. And I think that's why the work is, is, I think it's communicating better now to my audience. I think people are liking the work now just because it doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel overthought out, you know? Well, you're you're relying on your intuition now, it sounds yeah. like, and your experience. For sure, for sure yeah, for sure. So, Julian, it sounds like you got some good things on the horizon for your future. Any other little surprises or any other senses of where you may go in the in, in the near future that you want to share with us? I have a lot of group shows coming up for this year. I actually just confirmed, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I'm going to say it. I just confirmed my first museum show in Washington. And I think, Zach, you're in that show too. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Well, we'll talk about more of that off air, but yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So that's coming up and I'm doing a two-person show with Blue Spiral next year. I want to get back in Detroit. I feel like a lot of the gallery scenes there are, are very dynamic. You know, I've worked with Louis Buell in Detroit, Library Street Collective, two great galleries that I would love to work with, with further opportunities, other projects. Um, but I think for future, I think representation is definitely on my horizon. I definitely want to work with a gallery, get represented by a gallery, which I don't know if that's Detroit. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it, but, I, you know, I would love to, you know, you know, Simone D'Souza, Library Street Collective, Louis Buell, someone in Detroit that really knows who I am. Maurice Finn in Detroit, I would love to work with them. I feel like that's a major thing for me is just keep producing work and showing people that I'm passionate and showing people that I'm committed. So I think that's a big thing. Yep. Y'all can't see me, but I'm nodding my head over here. 100% <laughs> like producing work, more and more work, consistent work. This it's just one of the best ways to hone your, you're just, it brings focus to your practice, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, I actually forgot this element too, but teaching. So like, I want to get into workshops and hopefully teach students my style and how I approach quilting and teaching at a university. A PhD was kind of in mind. I don't know if I want to do that or not. <laughs> um, you know, the guest, two guests before you, Marley Grace, I forget what number episode Marley was on. But Marley just ended up getting accepted to the graduate studies program for quilts at 
the University of Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh my gosh. So okay. maybe put that on your radar is all I'm saying. They had a program for just quilts. That's just awesome. it's an amazing program. And you know, if you do want to teach and you want to do a workshop, you're always welcome to come to the Nook. We would love to have you. I would love to like get into more of that. Just showing people my process and how, you know, having like a sketching seminar, how it's abstract. You hear a lot of people say, I can't, I'm not, I'm not an abstract artist, but I believe everyone is an abstract artist in some way. (laughs) All right. Julian, you and me, we could talk all day, but I'm going to say, what if we close up with a lightning round? I have three questions for you. Okay. And they're kind of big questions. So (laughs) if you need to take a beat to think about your answer, feel free, but you only get one sentence. To answer the question. You up to the challenge? Yes. All right. Number one, what advice do you have for young artists? You stick to your path. Don't let people direct your path. You direct your own path. Question number two, what's your favorite Bible verse? One of my favorite is Psalms Psalms 100. Would you mind reading it for us? Sure. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his We are His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and in the courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. <laughs> There's a lot of joy in that passage, and I see that in your work. Yep, yep. Last question, and it's a doozy. How has working with textiles made you more human? I think quilting, well, I'm not going to say I think. it. Quilting has brought a more mature side of me, and has brought out a more confident side of me that I never thought I had. Quilting has brought joy to my life. It's something that keeps me in a positive state. It keeps me humbled. It keeps me grounded. And I feel like quilting has, it's allowing me to contribute to add to the quilting history, hopefully for future generations to study and to witness. Oh, that's a beautiful answer. Julian, I really look forward to talking to you again. We will definitely talk a year from now for our Backstitch episode when you come back and tell us how your show went, your solo show went. Oh, yeah. There's a lot to talk about, for sure. (laughs) For sure. And we're rooting along with you. That's We're just so excited. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, if there's somebody you'd like to recommend to be a guest on this show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at Zach at ZachFoster.com. Just remember Zach is spelled Z-A-K. And why? I don't know. You have to ask my mama. I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, take care, sew something good, and I hope to see you around the nook.